John chapter 2. We're going to start reading here in verse 1. Read the first 11 verses. Now, just so you can follow along in your mind here, we're going to talk about the miracles of Christ. We're going to talk about marriage, money, and the message. Four points. So you can follow along as the message goes on. But he says here in John chapter 2 and verse 1, In the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and His disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto them, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. And His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there was set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. And the ruler of the feast had tasted the water which was made wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew. The governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning that set good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on Him. As we talked about John chapter 1 last week and John chapter 2 this week, you find that it's interesting that John takes the time to give the day-by-day account of the beginning ministry of Jesus Christ. And it's interesting when we read this story here in the first couple days of Jesus Christ's public ministry, the reaction of the people within the story. For example, Mary's reaction and the servant's reaction and and the governor of the feast's reaction. But it's also interesting to see the reaction of people today as they read this story and hear this story, trying to understand or figure out how Christ did this miracle of turning the water into wine. But people trying to figure this out and how He did it seems kind of pointless if you believe chapter 1, and what John, the disciple of Jesus Christ, and the testimony of John the Baptist, what they said about Christ. In in, in chapter 1, they said, all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So in other words, this creator of the universe, Jesus Christ, He made the water from nothing. He made the grape juice, which made the wine. So turning water into wine, that's not a hard feat when we understand that He is the Creator of all things. Just in the chapter before, He had told Nathaniel, He says, uh, He told Nathaniel that when, when, when He was called and He was under the tree there, and Nathaniel was amazed that He knew this, He said, greater things than these you'll see. Right? In other words, Jesus was saying, you ain't seen nothing yet. And that's what, that's what, that was what is happening here. We see the first miracle of Jesus in His ministry and we're beginning to see the glory of Jesus Christ. You know what the miracles of Christ prove? The miracles of Christ prove that He was the Messiah. Right? 
that He was the Christ, that He was God. He showed His power and His miracles over over nature. It was said in in Mark chapter 4, they they said about Christ, they said, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the seas obey Him? He had power over nature. He had power over the human body. We find in Matthew chapter 11, when John the Baptist is arrested and he's uh, facing execution, and before he dies for the cause of Christ, he wants to make sure that Jesus is the Christ, right? He wants to make sure that he is the one that he was uh, being the forerunner for. So he sent one of his servants to ask Christ before he dies if he was the one. And Jesus sent back to him, he said this, Go and show John again these things which you do here and you see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have the gospel preached unto them. He says, you go tell John what you've seen me doing, showing that I am the Christ, that I am the Messiah. He had, he had power over the human body. He had power over the evil spirits and demons. The Bible says that even the, uh, the, the, the Pharisees and them said, what, what authority does this man have? He has power to command the evil spirits and they obey Him. He had power, what we see over a manipulating food just in this story of turning the water into wine, but the lad's lunch, the five loaves and two fishes that he used to feed 5,000 and there was plenty left over. When we see the miracles of Christ, we see His power and we see who He is. Even His birth. Think about that was a miracle. You know, Mary knew who Christ was, didn't she? I mean, she knew. She knew that she was a virgin when, when Christ was born. She knew what the angels had told her. So when in this passage, when she tells Jesus, she says, we're out of wine. She comes to Jesus and says, hey, at this wedding, hey, we're out of wine. It's interesting here that what, what is she really saying to Jesus is, hey, show the world who you are. Show the people who you are, who you've come, uh, and, and how, what power you have. She says, to the, uh, she says to the servants at the wedding, she says, whatsoever he saith unto you, what? Do it. That's good advice for us even today, isn't it? Whatsoever he saith unto us, do it. Jesus said to her, look at this in verse 4, when she tells them that, the, that they're out of wine, he says, mine hour is not yet come. In the Gospel of John, you'll see that Jesus says this several times in the beginning of the Gospel of John. My hour is not yet come. But then at the end of the Gospel of John, Jesus says several times, the hour is now come. And when He was preparing for His death, He continued to say, the hour is now come. It is interesting to see and and point out that Jesus Christ, at the beginning of His ministry, this is the first couple of days of His public ministry, He is saying, He is pointing toward the reason why He came was for His death. He was pointing to the reason why He came was so that He could die and that He can rise from the dead so that He can pay the ransom for every man and woman. So that He could pay the sin debt to make the redemption for us. These miracles of Jesus Christ, 
they prove that he is God. Now we see here that he comes to a wedding. It's interesting, again, the first couple days of Jesus Christ's ministry that he comes to enjoy himself with his friends and family at a community event. Last week, the point was to be, was to be made that, that evangelism, to preach the gospel, is done in a simple way. Jesus Christ had a couple guys come over to his house, right? He has them come over. Hey, the same thing is true here as Jesus begins to show himself. It's done in just a community event. It's done in a joyful way. It's done in a, in a, in a, a simple way. He shows up at a wedding. He and his disciples are guests at a wedding. You know, I don't think that Jesus Christ, when I read these gospel, the Gospels of Christ and His life, that He was uh, stiff and uptight. I don't think that He was like this uh, religious picture of formality and, and perfection and separation. I don't think that Jesus Christ conducted Himself on earth as, you know, holier than thou, right? Although He was holier than thou. I mean, He was holier than thou, and He's holier than me. He's holier than everyone. But I don't think that He conducted Himself that way. I think that He joined right in in the celebration, joined right in in the wedding. And in this place, it's no coincidence. It is no coincidence that the first miracle of Jesus Christ is done at a wedding, done at a marriage, which marriage was God's first institution. It says in Genesis chapter 2 that at, when, when God brought Eve to Adam, He said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. There, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and they shall cleave, uh, and he shall cleave to his wife and they shall be what? One flesh. This happened in Genesis chapter 2, God's institution of marriage. Ever since God instituted marriage, uh, society's evil has come in and tried to break it apart, tried to separate it. Uh, societies down throughout all of history have, have tried to redefine what marriage is. But marriage was ordained of God and it was defined in God's word. Marriage in this culture, marriage in the world today is under attack. You see it. You see it with just the the amount of divorce that is happening. The uh, the society trying to redefine what it is and what it means. The pressure in society and the acceptance in society to not even get married. And we see that uh, all these things. But God instituted marriage, and God brought marriage about for our joy for our blessing and for our protection and a society. It is a picture of something greater, isn't it? Marriage is a picture later found out between Christ and the church. A husband and a wife is a picture of Christ and the church. Continue with me then in this passage in verse 13. The Bible says, And the Jews' Passover was at hand, And Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them out of the temple 
and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence. Make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. That was a prophecy. You know, this, this that Jesus Christ did here at the temple was prophesied that would happen in Psalms chapter 69 and verse 9. And so Jesus Christ coming in here, zealous uh, for His Father's house, zealous to do these things, was prophesied in the Old Testament. But, but just stop and think in, re- in real terms of what happened here. I mean, how big of a deal this was for Jesus... He was not part of the religious crowd. He was not, uh, he was not in, in that sect to come in here at one of their most holy times of the year. Right? This is the preparation of the Passover. And Jews would come from all these different nations and would come to Jerusalem to obey the law of Moses. The Bible says that, that the, all males during the Passover were supposed to come and present themselves before God, and bring an offering before God during Passover. So all these people would come into town for this big event, Passover, this big feast in the Jewish culture. And Jesus, obeying the law, because He fulfilled the law, did He not? He went to present Himself, and when He gets there, He finds this uh, corruption, this whole corrupt system. And, it, and he has righteous indignation, right? I think sometimes that's a little bit missing. Sometimes there's not, it's not that there isn't angry Christians, because there is, but sometimes we're angry at the wrong things. It's interesting to see here what Jesus Christ makes him upset, but it's even more than that. This happened twice in Jesus Christ's ministry. We find it here in John chapter 2, but then you also find it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke where Jesus did the same exact thing before the Passover, right before He offers Himself, right before His crucifixion, right before He offers Himself as the Passover lamb. So this happened twice within a couple years. The same temple, the same same group of people. That's, That's amazing to me. You would think that He wouldn't have to do this twice, right? Go in there and clean the house twice. But when you think of it in your own terms, how quickly are we to go back to the things that displease God? You say, uh, in my life, I've cleansed my heart. In my life, I've confessed my sins. In my life, I've gotten right with God. But do we have to do that only every couple of years? Only every... No, no, no. It happens a whole lot often, more often than that, does it not? This corrupt system that was set up when Jesus Christ came... Listen... This was, Jesus Christ was God. And He had set this system up, this blood sacrifices for sin, right? In the Levitical priesthood, in the temple. So that God's people could come and bring an offering for their sin so that they could be cleansed, so that they could have fellowship with God, right? And here He comes, when Jesus Christ comes, He finds this religious system. There was, when you went outside the temple, there was the inspectors, the inspectors of the offering. All the offerings had to be inspected so that, so that they, were, they were without spot, without blemish, right? But the inspectors of the offering were in cahoots with the sellers 
of, of other offerings. So it's not like you could buy your own goat or your own pigeon at a regular price and come and bring it. They expected you to buy it there at the temple. And so we had the inspector, and then we had the people selling the offering, had the people selling the offering at, 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 at a marked up price, way marked up. They, there's some, some folks would say even 10 times what the value was. But then there, that wasn't it. Then there was the changers of money. And so they pretended like they couldn't just take the standard Roman or the standard Greek or whatever country you came from, whatever money you came from, you would have to exchange your money there at the temple to get Jewish money, and that was marked up. And so you had all these people taking their cuts off of just people coming innocently, innocently coming trying to serve God and trying to honor God and trying to obey God's laws. But then before they could even get to God, they had this system set up where people were getting super rich off of it. And Jesus walks into this, this that's what the, he, he says in Matthew about this. He says, you've taken the, my father's house, which is a house of prayer, and you've turned it into a den of thieves. And he comes in there, and I mean, this is not the picture of Jesus that people want to pay, paint. I mean, uh, he would get us a, uh, a whip, and he comes in there flipping the tables and driving these people out of there. I'm telling you, he was angry about this. But there's another picture here that's, to me, I find fascinating. When the Passover, when the Passover was established by God back in uh, back in Exodus, before the Passover, there was a a part of the ceremony that you were supposed to do is that the, you would go into the house, go into your own house, and you would purge out. The leaven. Any leaven that was in the house had to be cleaned out of the house, completely taken out of the house, you know, and then they would keep the Passover with unleavened bread. And unleavened bread is a picture of what? Jesus Christ. Because leaven is a picture of what in the Bible? It's found in Corinthians, it's found throughout the Bible. Leaven is a picture of sin, right? And so Jesus Christ is he, he is the unleavened bread. He is he is his body was sinless. His flesh was sinless. So unleavened bread is a picture of Christ. So the Jewish people would go into their parents' house before every Passover, or the, or the father would, and they would take this, and they'd do the ceremony where they would get all the leaven out of the house. Right? And it's interesting that Jesus Christ, before Passover, goes to his father's house and drives out all the sin out of his father's house, drives out all the leaven there at the temple, pushes all these people out of here, trying to cleanse the temple so that they can have a true Passover worshiping God. Isn't that interesting? He did a purging. He did a purging out. Listen, we're going to take of the Lord's Supper here and here at the end of this service together. This is, this is uh, Christ's body, the unleavened bread, and Christ's blood, the wine, for us, was, 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 was given to us. But you know what a big part a big part of communion is, we find in Corinthians, that we're to judge ourselves. Are we not? We're to examine our own hearts. And before we partake of the Lord's Supper, our Passover, before we partake of that, we're supposed to have a time of cleansing, a time of cleaning. In other words, Jesus cleaned house. We are supposed to clean heart. And as we take of this uh, communion here in a few minutes, I, we, would sh- we would do it out of a pure heart, a clean heart before God, confessing sin. You say, I've done that before. Yeah? 
But just like the nation of Israel, we have to do it again, don't we? You say, I do that all the time. We need it. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Finally, the message here. We've talked about the miracles, the marriage, the money, and now the message in John chapter 2 and verse 18. He says, Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? You know, the the Jews come to Jesus after he turns over the tables and drives out the, the merchants. They said, What authority do you have to do this? What Stop and think about that. What what uh, boldness that they had as they were as they were stealing from all their countrymen. That they, I mean, they had to know what they were doing was wrong, right? And they come up to Jesus and say, "They said, what authority do you have to do this? Show us a sign. Give us a sign, like a miracle. Give us a miracle." And and, and the truth of the matter is, Jesus did miracles in front of them all the time. Did he not? And their signs, his miracles, they still wouldn't believe. Every time he'd do a miracle in front of them, they'd justify it or put it off as something else. They said, what authority, what sign do you have? And what Jesus said? Jesus answered and said unto them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will rise it up, raise it up. Then said the Jews, forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. This is so prophetic, what Jesus says. And it is a sign. They said, give us a sign. Show us a miracle. He is. And they didn't see it. He says, okay, I'll give you a sign. He says, destroy this temple, talking about his body. And I'll raise it up in three days. You know how corrupt they were? I don't have time. but, But at the end of the Gospels, you know what the Jews finally brought the accusation against Jesus to crucify him? They, they, at the end, when he was in this makeshift, in the middle of the night court, right? You know what they said that Jesus said? He said, I will destroy this temple. And in three days, raise it up. That's not what he said, is it? it, it if you read it, every place he says, I will, they said, he said, I will destroy this temple. That's not what he said. He said, you destroy this temple, and in three days, I'll raise it up. And they did destroy that temple. And in three days, he did raise it up. They did destroy Christ. They did crucify Christ. He was, he, was, he was prophesying to them saying, hey, you destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. And he did. And, and here's, the, here's the, I guess, irony in this thing. Is, is in them doing that, they did destroy their own temple. The moment that Jesus Christ, the eternal sacrifice for sin was made, the moment that that happened, no longer was the temple needed. Remember the veil was rent from top to bottom? No longer was there ever needed another animal sacrifice for sin. The whole system was just wiped away the moment that they crucified the Messiah. The moment that they crucified the Christ. It's amazing. They didn't even realize what they were doing. Look at what he says. He says, three days I'll rise it up. They said, 46 years. He, He was always talking about things spiritual. They were always looking at the physical. He could have raised up that physical temple in three days too. He could have raised it up in 46 minutes. It didn't matter, but he was talking about his body. Verse 22, and, and, and therefore he was, when therefore he was risen from the dead, the disciples remembered that he had said unto them, and they believed what? The scripture and the word which Jesus said. 
The message is, would we believe the Scripture? Would we be followed? Listen, a lot of people out there today will say they're believers, right? I believe in God. I believe in, I believe in the, these things. But are we true believers? Are we true believers? Has there been a time in our life where we, we by faith have accepted Jesus Christ as our sacrifice for sin? Our Passover lamb. Has there been a time where we accepted Him for the payment for our sins to become our Savior? Well, remember, that's what John was written for. That we might believe. As we look at the Gospel of John, as we look at this story, we look at the miracles of Christ. Listen, as Christians, do we believe? I, th- I thought it was interesting that the governor of the feast told the bridegroom about the wine. He said, you've saved the what? Best for last. That's the truth in every believer and every Christian's life. The best is yet to come. For Christians, all the blessings that God has given us, all the grace that He's shown us, all the forgiveness that He's given us, even all those things, the best is yet to come for believers. Father God, as we come before you, God, I pray that you would uh, make us clean before you, God, as we confess our sins. God, help us as a church uh, to be clean before you, Lord. And Lord, as we partake of your uh, supper, God, I pray that you would uh, just help us to see you as our sacrifice and the payment that you made for our sin. God, we want to thank you for it. We want to thank you for being our 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 uh, our lamb. God, that took away the sin of the world. God, we love you, and uh, Lord, pray that we just honor you in this uh, this communion this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.